2: Welcome into another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our team top 10 prospect series today with the Colorado Rockies. We're going to look at what was behind Ezekiel Tovar's rise in 2022, what's next for Drew Romo and Zach Veen and the promising players that were in low a Fresno last year, and what that means for the Rockies moving forward. To do all that, I'm joined by Jeff Ponce, who took care of the Rocky system for us for the first time. Jeff, thanks for joining me today.
1: Hey, Kyle. Yeah, excited to talk about, I think, an underrated system, quite frankly. One that's maybe been uh, brushed aside a little bit too hastily when you look at some of the talent throughout the system right now.
2: Yeah, so that's something I've talked about a lot in recent years. The Rockies have had good players when you went out and watched their affiliates, uh, whether it's low A, high A, double A. And there have been times where I've certainly seen them being talked about as not having a very good farm system. And that hasn't gelled with what I've I've seen on the field and what's been apparent on the field. I talked about this extensively in 2021, watching that Fresno team when you had Zach Veen, Andrew Romo, and Ezekiel Tovar. It was very apparent this was a good team at the time, San Jose with Marco Luciano and Luis Matos and Kyle Harris was getting a lot more love and pub. But when you just watch the two teams play on the field, Fresno was every bit as talented as San Jose was. And we saw that kind of really take off last year. That Fresno group ascended to the high A Northwest League, and a couple of those guys Mm -hmm. went to Hartford. In case of Tovar, he got all the way to the majors. And it started to become a little more well known. Hey, these guys can actually play. There was another group of talent behind them in low A. I do think it's important to note, as we talk about this organization and some of the struggles that they face, scouting and player development is not one of them. If you go back and look over the last 15 years, the Rockies have been one of the best organizations in terms of scouting and player development. Their issues have come with bad free agent signings, bad trades off the major league roster. But from a scouting and player development perspective, the Rockies are actually one of the strongest in baseball. They don't really get a lot of the respect they deserve on that front. And you see that it's still kind of the case today when you look at their system. This is a a top 10 system in baseball. There's a lot of talent. Now, it's all position players, which we'll talk about, but there's a lot of them that are very, very good.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, what gets lost in sort of this narrative around the Rockies organization versus other organizations is, you know, they can't develop, they blah, 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 blah. You know, it seems like every move they make, even things that are pretty common for other clubs that are successful, um, they get ex- sort of extra scrutiny. I know I've talked with some Rockies fans over the years, and you know, when you cover a system like this, or really any system, you end up, you know, interacting with the fan base here and there. And you know, I think the point that I consistently make is, when on the player, on the the position player side, they've done an excellent job of player development. There's certainly a roadmap and a path. And I actually wrote about this years ago before it was even at uh, Baseball America. If you look at the way they sort of either Put a player, you know, immediately into a role at the major league level, whether that's Trevor Story, whether that's Nolan Arenado, we can go all the way back to Troy Tulowitzki. It's been a lot of the continuity within the organization. So we can do that. When a guy is ready and they feel that he is a potential star, they don't hold back on giving that player an opportunity. Some of these other guys, Brennan Rodgers, guys that have maybe faltered, a Tapia, a Hampson. Uh, But even the guys that have had some success like McMahon or even Charlie Blackman, they sort of slow roll them over a few years, get them acclimated to, you know, major leagues, get them, you know, sort of into, into positions to succeed. And they've done a really good job of taking a lot of those players and developing them them at the major league level. I think that goes a little unnoticed and sort of underappreciated. They've developed as many position players that they put into their lineup that have had long careers as much as really anyone. And they've produced some very good players, you know, an MVP caliber player in Arenado, guys like to certainly Trevor story when he's at his peak before the elbow injuries was a very, very good player. Um, They struggle more on the pitching side. I think even in terms of some of the development and there's not really a pathway, they also do have to deal with the higher elevation and all the stuff that comes with that. Um, You know, I don't, I don't think that it's, 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 it's a total lack of ability they've shown they really do know how to target athletes and develop them into skilled players at the major league level.
2: Going back to when they made the postseason back to back years in 2017, 2018, I wrote about this at the time. They had the most homegrown roster of any playoff team. And at the time that actually included um, a lot of their pitchers, you know, Kyle Freeland, uh, Tyler Anderson at the time, John Gray at the time, Antonio Sensatella, they acquired Herman Marquez in a trade. And when he was in the lower levels, but developed him well. So again, Scouting and player development is not why the Rockies have struggled. Uh, They've had four consecutive losing seasons. Last year was their worst record since 2015. So they've moved backwards. It's not trending in the direction you hope for. Some of that was injuries, but also this was a team that had a lot of holes. So again, we've talked about this and you're absolutely right. You look at the total track record over really a 15-year period, even a 10-year period. The Rockies stack up pretty well against any organization in baseball when it comes to successful homegrown big leaguers. It's an issue of sometimes what happens in the major leagues. The Nolan Arenado trade was a horrendous trade that never should have happened. That's been written about and talked about a nauseam. That's very, very true even today as we've seen you know what's happened with him and, and the players they got back. It was apparent at the time it was a mistake and it, it's still a bad mistake today. Myself knows others have written about a lot of the bad free agent signings, but it does need to be said those all happened under a general manager that's no longer in the organization. Uh, Bill Schmidt, their longtime scouting chief, is now the general manager. And we have to see what this new regime is able to do because a lot of the issues were done under a previous GM. Let's see what this new GM, even though he's been around the organization for a while, now he has kind of new powers, new a new role Let's give it a chance and see what they can do. Cause I will say Bill Schmidt is one of the most respected baseball men in the game because of that scouting and player development success. The Rockies have had, You talk to others in the industry. He's as revered as any other, you know, veteran scouting director in the industry. So the Rockies do have to reverse some things, but again, the issue is not their farm system. The issue is not their scouting and player development apparatus. The issue has been decisions that were made off the big league roster. And and hopefully those decisions will improve Jeff with that how do you assess the state of this farm system? Because as we've talked about four straight losing seasons, they're moving backwards, 68, 94 last year. their worst record since 2015. The hope for this franchise lies in the future. Given that, how do you assess this farm system right now?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it certainly lacks um, impact pitching really across the board. There's a handful of relievers that are on the back end of this 30 that are kind of interesting, They've done a good job of developing a young core of talented hitting prospects. And and, and we've seen that. Um, we've seen, you know, a guy like Ezekiel Tovar come up to the major leagues, you know, we'll go into a little bit more with him standout defender. I think a guy that can plug in sort of that shortstop role long-term almost right away. And they have a few other guys that are a year or two away from probably contributing maybe three in some cases. Um, but I do think over the next couple of years that, you know, as they maybe aren't competitive in an incredibly tough division, in, in, you know, that AOS, uh, excuse me, NOS, sorry, oops, um, I think we're going we're gonna to end up seeing that over the next couple of years, they will develop, we will see a much better team, a much different team than the one that's been on the field. It's just a matter of sort of bridging the gap between 2023, 2024, and 2025, where I do think a lot of these guys that will have impact will be up at the major league level. And, you know, I think they have at least a handful of everyday players that are in the system right now. And there's a lot of talent at the top. I mean, this was probably of the four systems that I wrote up. I probably had the toughest time of figuring out, you know, who was seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, much more so than Toronto, St. Louis, who we, we know is a very top-heavy system, and then Houston, who's you know, had some reinforcements uh, with actually a full draft last year. So I think it's an underrated system. And I think it is a system that has lower-level depth and excitement, but also some guys that are just on the cusp of the major leagues, or they in Tovar's case, that will be able to contribute over the next five, six, seven years.
2: Yeah, we talk about that potential everyday position player group and Ezekiel Tovar tops that group it's funny I want to go back to that 2021 Fresno team where it was very apparent there was a lot of talent there sitting out there watching in the Cal League and you see Zach Veen you see Drew Romo you see Ezekiel Tovar and some other guys too and throughout that season at the end of that year that was how they lined up you know Veen's the best guy on this team Romo's right behind him and Tovar is a pretty good player too fast forward to 2022 Tovar surpassed them and A lot of other prospects and other organizations came out in big league spring training lit the world on fire went down into double a really didn't have that much time in high a he got up to high at the very end of 2021 struggled went straight to double a out of camp had no issues there overcame an injury got to triple a got to the majors finished the year in the big leagues homered off clayton kershaw his first career homer what propelled ezekiel tovar up to the top because again at the end of 2021 he was certainly a good player but No one in the Rockies organization, no one outside scouts expected him to zip past Veen and Romo of this group.
1: Sure. And I think the thing that I got from, you know, talking with folks within the organization, um, it's just the makeup, the makeup end of it, the, the work ethic that he has. And I think this is something that unless you're around a player every day. You really can't know. So us as as journalists, as writers, we have to sort of lean on our team contacts to learn these sort of things. And sort of what I gronked out of that was you can see that this is a guy that, you know, didn't go home uh, all throughout the pandemic. I don't think people necessarily realize that he did not actually go back home to Venezuela until January of 2021. He spent almost two years here, you know, working, he was living in Arizona, working out every day, working with, you know, coordinators on the swing, working on improving his defense, which is already excellent. And what we saw was a player that really, over the course of a couple of years, transformed. Um, He got that rest period. He got a lot of reps in. He also went to the Arizona Fall League, of course, after that 2021 season. And he really matured as a player. And I think you see the way he carries himself on the field, his internal clock, just the calmness that he has, whether that's in the batter's box, whether that's, you know, when he's manning shortstop, I saw it firsthand early in the year uh, in Hartford and he's just an impressive player on both sides of the ball. So I think, you know, you sort of look at some of the data, you look at some of the numbers, he doesn't pop. He's a little bit aggressive. Um, you know, he doesn't have huge exit velocity numbers, but I will say his best contact, he, he, he makes, he, you know, hardish contact at great angles. He's a, a, a above average contact hitter, regardless of the fact that he does like to swing Um But he's one of these guys, he's so twitchy and he has such innate abilities that he has sort of the ability to hit balls that other guys can't. Um, And just because, you know, he will expand from time to time, I don't think that he necessarily has terrible swing decisions. It's not the kind of thing that's going to be exposed, I feel, in the major league level. And then when you talk about, you know, shortstop defense, when you consider his age, you consider the level, you consider that he was playing in the cold Northeast right at the beginning of the season. This guy was probably one of the best, if not the best infield defenders that I've seen in the minor leagues over the last two, three, four, five seasons. I mean, it's, it's an excellent arm. He's rangy. His actions are incredibly clean. Um, you know, he makes plays that other guys sort of struggle to make or have to make look spectacular. He can make them look really easy. Um, his throwing in the run uh, is excellent. His ability to come in uh, range to his right range to his left. He's, he makes guys around him look a lot better, and I think that's sort of the key with any top defender that you watch. You know, I think it was the thing, and it was a third baseman. But we always said about Matt Chapman is how much better he made his shortstop because it's like you didn't really have to worry about going to your right when you were playing with Matt Chapman at peak. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where he's a well-rounded player. Uh, the offensive peak we haven't seen it yet. I think that the the, the swing decisions will improve. He's going to get bigger and stronger. Um, you know, he's a fairly light kid at this point, but is still able to hit for power. And of all the parks in the Rocky system, Hartford, though it's, you know, a, a borderline hitters park. It's by far the least hitter centric of all of their minor league parks when you consider it, especially looking back to when they were in Asheville, etc. Um, and he had a great season to start. I mean, unfortunately dealt with an injury. But if you look at those numbers over those 66 games. 318, 386 OBP, 545 slugging percentage, 13 home runs over those 66 games to go with 15 doubles. Oh, and he had 17 out of 20 steals. This is a guy that can impact the game in a variety of ways. And he's just a freaky athlete with that makeup, with that work ethic. You know, I really believe in the player. And I think he's a guy that I, I wouldn't be shocked if he starts from day one this year.
2: Yeah, the defensive piece was there again. That was very, very apparent even at Fresno in 2021. And you talk about all the athleticism, and but the makeup's important too. He was very fundamentally sound for someone his age, even then. You know, little things, where he positioned himself on cuts, you know, accuracy of throws, not just arm strength. There was a lot of little things that he was able to do. You don't see a lot of low A shortstops do. And on top of it, you mentioned, you know, the swing decisions and, and some of the aggressiveness there. And in general, that's where there is a little bit of concern, just because he is so aggressive, and opposing evaluators, opposing clubs do have some concerns that that will be exposed and exploited a little bit against big league pitching. In the process of our top 100 prospects, putting the list together, you know, sending it out for feedback and sourcing throughout the game, he was a fairly consistent. Hey, move him down a little bit, guy, just because you know where we had him, they, they felt was a little aggressive, given some of those concerns. But I also thought back a little bit to Michael Harris, who I want to go back a year ago to where we were at this time last year. It was a similar thing. We had Michael Harris about 20 spots higher than where he ultimately finished on the B.A. Top 100. And the reason was the same kind of feedback. We're concerned about the aggressiveness. We're concerned about how much he's going to swing, what that'll look like in the majors and, and be exposed a little bit. And Michael Harris, to be sure, was aggressive in the majors. The strikeout to walk wasn't great, but he made adjustments, figured out a way to make it work for him, and was still a great player. And and I kind of get the same vibes with Tovar here. Yes, he's aggressive but he's going to make adjustments and improvements. He improved rapidly year over year from 2022 to 2021, especially offensively. Just gives me all the vibes of this is a guy who will make the adjustments, will improve, will get better, and ultimately we'll see a guy who is productive and and finds a way to balance that aggressiveness without being too overboard. Yeah,
1: no, I I completely agree. And I think that's one of the things that like if you have – you know, it's like the rule of threes. If you have approach, contact, and power, you're a superstar. You know, he has the contact, he has the power, and I think the thing like Harris, which is a good comparison here, he has that sort of twitchy, like innate athleticism that a lot of guys don't have with those bat-to-ball skills, with that, you know, bat speed. Um, Right now, he's sort of able to make up for some of those poor decisions as guys mature, get better, and they see it. You know, they get their 1,000 plate appearances at the major league level those approach uh, concerns usually start to alleviate somewhat as well.
2: Yeah, he's going to be uh, an interesting guy to watch this coming year. I spoke to Bud Black and the Rockies about this during the winter meetings, wrote about it. They're prepared to give him the opening day shortstop job. He still has to go out and win it. It's not just going to be handed to him, but I mean right now it's his job to lose in a lot of ways. It'll be really interesting to see if he's able to take it and run with it. Jeff, Tovar had become the clear-cut number one prospect in this system just with the season he had, the improvements he made, what he projects to be. Zach Veen and Drew Romo entered the year considered the organization's top two prospects in a lot of ways, top two names, a lot of upside for both of them. Both of them did not put up huge numbers this year in the Northwest League. How do you assess the years they had and balance kind of the, the production with maybe versus the expectation? And what are evaluators seeing? How much optimism still is there? Because sometimes when they struggle to the jump low at to high, especially given how poor quality of baseball Lowe is and was in 2021. Sometimes that could be a red flag, but there's still some optimism about these guys. Kind of take us through the evaluations that you were getting from opposing evaluators and, and internal evaluators.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, another thing that's just always a consistent with the Rockies is um, there's a lot of emphasis on makeup. They like to bring in guys that they feel are high caliber makeup guys, high character guys, guys that are going to fit into a locker room, guys that are going to, they're very coachable. Um, I think it's one of the reasons that they have succeeded on the player dev- player development side, particularly with positional prospects. Um, Veen gets all those sort of makeups uh, uh, reports, like in spades, very similar to Tovar. Um, opposing evaluators, and, you know, this is something that, I, you know, being in the fall league, I was able to chat with, you know, a lot of folks that were out there that had coverage on these teams Um People like the bat to ball skills with Veen. They like the approach. He's excellent approach. He rarely swings out of the zone. He's sort of the opposite of a Tovar. I think the big, the biggest concern with him is is just the swing. And if you watch somebody gets heavy into his back leg, and I think at times sort of bleeds some of his of his energy, um, which sort of negates some of his natural power. Like I, I know. Folks sort of saw the uppercut sort of swing as an amateur and expected, oh, this guy's Cody Ballinger, he's going to hit for power, blah, blah, blah. And he really hasn't been that kind of player. I think it's something that is a couple tweaks away. The, the evaluators that I spoke with were not negative at all in terms of Veen's overall pr- uh, trajectory. He just sort of got passed by a player that was you know, young and very talented and, and so strong defensively and had you know a great year in A at the age that he did. Veen's a guy that I think still needs another year. He still needs some more seasoning. There's some things about his, his, his swing that do need to be adjusted. In terms of his play in the field, he's not a center fielder long-term. I think everybody thinks that he can be an above-average right fielder defensively. You know, The arm is, is perfectly fine for a corner outfield spot. Um, he's not super rangy, but I will say the thing that, that sticks out about Veen, watching him talking to opposing scouts that have watched a lot of them, is the instincts are there. I think the instincts are there in terms of his his reads at the plate. I think if you watched him as a base runner, he's a successful base runner, not because he's a burner. You know, He's probably average to above average run times you'll get most of the time. His jumps and ability to read the pitcher yep. are great. And it's one of the reasons that he'll consistently steal bases, I think, with these new rules um, once he gets up to the major leagues, why he will continue to steal bases regardless of what the speed is. It's really about those jumps and those reads. He's very good in right field, can cover a lot of range, doesn't put himself into bad positions. He's a very heady, smart, intuitive player. And I think that's what allows him to sort of buy some time to catch up, add the power. He's still a fairly skinny kid, though. He is a bigger guy at 6'4", 6'5", big, tall, lanky guy you look at that build, you look at the broad shoulders and you say, all right, I can see this guy adding 15 to 20 pounds of muscle as he starts to, you know, get into his man muscles. Um, I think we will see that. I think we'll see this guy develop into like a 20 home run hitter with really high on base percentages, pretty good batting averages and the ability to steal 20 plus bases while manning right field every day and a cavernous Coors field. I think people kind of forget that, that, you know, they forget how big Coors really is, um, because of the home run totals, it's really a, a batting average on balls and play park, you know, Baybitt Park, um, because of all those gaps, all those alleys, and you really do have to have range to be a smart outfielder in order to be able to cover it.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Veen's instincts. That was what jumped out to me immediately as well when I saw him in Fresno. You saw the physical abilities, the ability to make hard contact on a line. But watching him just kind of bait the pitchers, really get in their heads, was was really impressive to watch. He was, you know, advanced beyond his years in terms of his ability to read pitchers and catchers. By the way, the jumps he got, and he also plays with a high motor. He's very, very aggressive. Same thing in right field. He's going to play hard. He's going to get good reads off the bat. He's going to get good jumps, and there were just a lot of things to like there. He's a good ball player. And Drew Romo's season, I do want to point out the fact that while his overall numbers aren't great, you have to look pre-wrist injury and post-wrist injury. So before he suffered a wrist injury in the summer, he was hitting 299, 354, 444, had five homers over half a season, looked like the guy we saw in low which is this incredible defensive catcher who could actually hit, which is kind of amazing because not many prep catchers who are known for their defense do. And that was a question about him. Then he suffered a wrist injury, came back, and after that hit 173, 266, 241 with no homers. So I think people looking at the overall line see a a line that's not great, and they question it. But you have to take into account the context. With any data point, with any statistic, context is important. And the guy he was pre-wrist injury is still a slam dunk top 100 prospect. Post-wrist injury, those struggles made some people question it, but... I still think coming out of the season, you still looking at a guy who has a chance to win Gold Gloves and also be at the very least a respectable hitter and, and potentially even a slightly above average one.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. Um, and I've had this conversation several times now uh, regarding Romo. The season really tanked, sort of after you know he went onto the IL uh, in July with that wrist injury, and the numbers went down tremendously. He's a good contact hitter. I think if you watch Drew Romo every day, you know you, you dive into the tape. A lot of the scouts that I talk with made sure that they made this point to me right away is young switch hitters already very difficult. Young switch hitters that are good catchers, that's even harder. So like he's doing something that has a very high degree of difficulty being at high at the age that he is. The expectations as a highly touted player as a prep. You know, he's a standout defender. If you watch him behind the plate, it's major league caliber defense now. Um, And actually that Spokane team generally had great catching because Palma that's back there, that was the other catcher that was sort of filling in when he was hurt. Also a tremendous defensive catcher. So it was probably one of the best defensive catching tandems in the minor leagues, regardless of the fact that it was high A. Um, But yeah, he's a very, very strong contact hitter. The approach is fine. You know, we'll see how the power develops. But, you know, if you can if you can hit at a, a fairly high clip, a, you know, 270 or above as an everyday catcher, you take your walks and you get your homers when you get them, you don't have to be slugging 500. There aren't many guys like that. There's only one Adley Rushman. You know, that's um, a very, very rare skill set. So I think we've got to keep in mind that it takes switch hitters a little longer. It takes catchers a little bit longer to develop offensively. And we got to kind of take pump the brakes a little bit. Look at the fact that he had a wrist injury, which is obviously something that saps power and saps impact, and that's what impacted him the most uh, long term. But I it wouldn't be shocked if he ends up having a full healthy season. If we see that you know higher batting average again, a respectable on base percentage, and you know is somewhere teetering around 400 or so in terms of slug, but. With all the other skills, all the other abilities, I think the Rockies are more than happy to have a guy that hits for a high batting average, gets on base, and gives them stellar catcher defense.
2: Yeah, I mean that—that's an All-Star caliber catcher again. Power is not his game; I've seen it, you've seen it. But consistent contact, good on-base skills, Gold Glove defense—that—that's a recipe for a long and successful big-league career. All right, Jeff, these were the three top prospects in the system. All three are top 100 guys. There's a lot of depth in the system, particularly on the position player side. You alluded to it earlier. Uh, We're going to dive into that. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll uh, talk a little more about the Rocky
0: system. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed.
2: Welcome back to the Baseball America Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with Jeff Ponce breaking down the Colorado Rockies system. All right, Jeff, we talked about the top three prospects in the system who are all in the top 100. Adele Amador, who's also a top 100 prospect. I saw a lot of him this past year at Fresno. Very talented player. Really good feel for the strike zone. Definitely a second baseman. He's not a shortstop. There's just, he's just not, but should Get on base and, and has a little more pop than you'd think for a smaller guy. Certainly, he did some things in the box that reminded me a little bit of Ozzie Albies, just the swing, the way it worked. He's not that level of twitchy athlete, but nonetheless, a good player, a clear cut top 100 guy. I want to talk to you about someone that's a little more divisive because, as we've talked about, these top four guys are all top 100. There's no question about it. Um, you look at the number five prospect in the system, Gabriel Hughes was. Maybe a slight surprise pick going as high as he did, but I know there were teams interested in him within two, three picks after that range and and had established himself as one of the best college pitchers in the draft class. Benny Montgomery, their first rounder last year, well, I should say two years ago now in 2021, he was a guy that was a big surprise. The Rockies took him eighth overall. There were a lot of teams who did not consider him a first rounder at all, and he was a very, very good athlete who faced a lot of questions about how much he was going to hit. He went out this first full season at Fresno, which we have to keep in mind is a very, very hitter friendly park. Struggled with a couple of injuries, only gotten to 62 games, did hit for average and hit for okay power there as well. But he also had a a lot of strikeouts. The strikeout to walk ratio wasn't great either. This is just a divisive prospect all around. What were the assessments from Benny Montgomery's first full year? Kind of the good and the bad you got.
1: Yeah, I think he's you know probably one of the best athletes in this system, if not the the best athlete system. Probably one of the best athletes in the minor leagues. Um, He had a fairly good season if you just look statistically. Uh, Underneath the hood, though, there's a lot of questions regarding the approach. It is really sort of bottom of the barrel approach. He'll swing at anything. Uh, The swing mechanics themselves are pretty ugly. And it's something that Montgomery himself, um, you know, when I've spoken with Benny pre-draft, he spoke about, you know, making adjustments to his swing. He's been sort of tinkering with it for a while. There's a couple of hand pumps. There's a bat wrap. There's an arm bar. It's like every single sort of thing that you could have uh, in terms of like a mechanical flaw or a red flag he has. But he has so much bat speed, so much ability. He's sort of able to make it work. Um, the, his, he really needs a lot of refinement at the plate. He needs to improve his swing decisions. He needs to clean up some of his, his mechanisms at the plate. He's a huge leg kick, too. I forgot to mention that one. So there's a lot of things here that I think you know might have certain evaluators off of him. But the upside, and I think some trust in the fact that the, the Rockies player development has been pretty good, um, you know, they feel as if this isn't somebody that you want to completely write off. Uh, he's also another guy, incredibly high makeup, really intelligent, you know, UVA committed, but I believe both of his parents are doctors or something along those lines. Um, and he's a smart kid. And I think that, you know, they, they appreciate the work ethic. They appreciate the makeup and the athleticism. And it's sort of like, all right, we can refine him, we can figure out some of these things. He has time to figure it out. It's going to be a slow roll. This isn't a guy that I expect to come out next year even if he's made some tweaks and improved i don't expect this guy to finish the season in triple a he's probably going to spend a full year maybe might even start at low a because of the injuries that he dealt with this year um, but more than likely let's say he spends the entire season at spokane you know if he's able to improve incrementally in some of those regards and you know cut down on some of the swing and miss cut down on some of the chasing you know he's a guy that could develop as he improves that skill side of things um, you know into a into a really good everyday center fielder he is a standout in the, in the outfield. He's fast. He's quick. He's rangy. The arm is very good. There aren't many guys that are as tooled up as Benny Montgomery. If you believe in the mantra of betting on the athlete, you're going to bet on Benny Montgomery. And I think that's what why he's so divisive and why there's such a split camp on him. Um, because some people just don't think that he can't fix the swing, can't fix and improve those swing decisions. Others think this is stuff that a young player from the Northeast is going to experience. We feel as if we can fix it. We feel as if you know the Rockies can fix it or another team, whatever it might be. Um, and then he has all these other abilities and skills to fall back on. Uh, he's a really impressive athlete. Uh, he's a fun player to watch, but it is it is a pretty it is a pretty ugly hack at the plate. I
2: have to tease you a little bit. Spokane, not Spokane. As the West Coaster oh. talking to the East Coaster, I have to. That's the equivalent if I said uh, Worcester instead of Worcester. It's that's uh, way off. That's yeah, way off. No- no, that's <laughs> okay. Yeah. Spokane, it's like, um, so tomato we, tomato. you mentioned with with Montgomery again, there is that split. What would you say is the percentage in terms of people who believe versus people who don't think it'll work?
1: It's probably 60, 40 don't believe, kind of leading the charge. Um, if you talk to the right people, maybe it's 50 50. It just really depends on the kind of evaluator you are. There's people who, value baseball skills more than athleticism and there's other that value athleticism more than baseball skills and um you know Montgomery is one of those guys in terms of athletic testing and tools I mean he's just off the charts so I think it kind of just depends on who you're talking to and what their preferences are
2: Jeff we've talked about this position player group again four guys in the top 100 all position players and you look at this top 10 eight of the top 10 are position players and this holds even further down into the system through the 30. It's very, very position player heavy. There are not many pitchers here who, as you mentioned, project to be starters. We talked about Gabriel Hughes, really good starter at Gonzaga. One of the first college pitchers taken in the draft. And, and again, a good pitcher who a lot of people like. Jordy Vargas was someone coming into last year that was considered, you know, kind of a low level flyer type. I believe he ranked 25th in the Rocky system and was not considered a guy, so to speak and i remember going out and seeing him this year i went out to see a game in the empire first fresno and it wasn't for him i went out i don't remember who i was supposed to see and very 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 quickly he grabbed your attention he's a smaller guy very very young but he was the same age as a high schooler in this past year's draft he was showing you three pitches an athletic repeatable delivery and you know threw strikes decently well especially for Mm -hmm. a guy his age and low a and I remember sitting next to uh, two scouts next to me who were both like, yeah, this guy goes in the first round of the draft. He's the same age, 18, three plus pitches, solid control, good athlete, a little smaller and said, you know, even if maybe the size scares you off, you, you compare him to some of the guys who went supplemental first or early second round. He stacks up really, really well compared to them. Went up to low A again this year, had, had a good year, especially in the context of pitching in Fresno. Um, it, was, it was a short stint, but a good one you know, pitched well in the ACL. What do the Rockies have here? Because because this is one of those guys that that really popped very quietly last year. And again, there are people out there who think he's the equivalent of, of a late first or early second round pick, and he's the right age for it.
1: You know, I think uh, the command and the pitch ability is really good. Um, he's got feel for spin. It's a plus curveball. It's one of the better curveballs that you'll probably see uh, really in the minor leagues. And we know the curveballs have kind of gone away. It's a good pitch. It's not something that he's going to throw away. Um, the fastball, I think, you know, the velocity is okay. The shape is fine. Um, it's his ability to command that fastball and land it really up in, out, down, low, you know, whatever it is, you know, throw it up high for a chase pitch when he needs to, and sort of get under, uh, get over barrels. He has the ability to do that. I'd like to see him throw the change up more. Um, it got fairly good results. Uh, he didn't go to it a ton, um, but. You know, there's three true pitches there. Um, you know, whether you think they're potentially plus or or average or better, um, they're all pitches that he's going to be able to use in a game and navigate a lineup with. Um, there's a lot of projection still remaining in the frame. Uh, he has some major league blood bloodlines as well. I believe his father uh, was a was a major leaguer. Um, I think it was. I'm going to butcher his his father's first your, name. Yorkis Jor- Perez. Yorkis Perez. Yorkis, correct. Yorkis. Your keys. See, I knew I was going to get the emphasis on the long syllable there, but, uh, yeah. So I, you know, I think he has all that sort of going for him. I think it's probably more of like a number four type of starter. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, especially in the system that sort of lacks potential starting pitching. Um, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, he is the Rockies number one pitching prospect next year. If he adds a couple ticks is able to add a little bit more ride and shape onto that fastball and starts throwing that change up more. Um, This could be a guy that definitely breaks out. And he was one that opposing evaluators that saw him, you know, in season, but as well as, you know, in off season workouts were incredibly high and, you know, made sure that he was a guy that, you know, you have these conversations with opposing evaluators and it's like they're pounding the table, make sure this guy is in the top 10. So, you know, that's sort of Vargas is that guy. And uh, I think he's a big arrow up prospect in this system.
2: Yeah. I remember coming back from that start and immediately sending you a slack like, Hey, this, this is a guy watch this. I mean, it was, it was impressive to see to the naked eye and, and yeah, a lot of people like him and um, certainly a bright future again, long way off. He's a teenager who's, you know, barely pitched above the complex leagues. And we know there's a lot of risk there, a lot of things still need to come, but in terms of what he showed at his age and his experience level, again, you stack it up against a like 18 year olds that were in the draft last year. And he compares pretty favorably. All right, Jeff, again, a lot of good position players. You mentioned you can go into 15 and you felt like you were still, you know, ranking good prospects, where in some other systems you don't necessarily feel like that's the case. Who are some of the guys outside this top 10 that you have a chance, that, that you think have a chance to really pop? Because, again, we've talked about there's a lot of guys that are in this top 10 now that that took big jumps. You know, Tovar was in the top 10 yeah. last year, but he took a bigger jump than anyone could have imagined. Vargas took a big jump. Who are some of the guys that you're keeping an eye on next year that could potentially jump into this top 10 and, and in a few years, be contributors to the Rockies?
1: Yeah. we didn't even talk about the other two guys and uh, the other three hitters in the top 10 that, you know, doing uh, being college guys that were really good. I think, you know, number 11, Jackson Cox, um, you know, prep pitcher that they drafted this year, incredible feel for spin. Um, you know, a guy that has velocity on the fastball. I know our draft, Uh, Analyst Carlos Colasso is incredibly high on Cox. So I think he's a guy that could potentially pop into the system. Um, Yankeel Fernandez is really interesting as a power prospect. I don't know how refined the hit tool necessarily gets. He's aggressive. There's a lot of swing and miss. It's an incredibly powerful bat, an incredibly powerful arm. So he's sort of like that classic right fielder type that if that approach improves a little bit, the contact improves a little bit. He's a guy that I could see sort of really climbing up the list. Hunter Goodman, another one had, you know, one of the the minor league leaders in home runs this year. I think he's going to eventually end up moving over to first base long-term. But you could see the power that's, you know, sort of within that back. The guy that I'm most interested in, though, is Jaden Hill. Right-handed pitcher, was a second-rounder out of Louisiana State back in 2021. He was injured, came over Tommy John surgery. That happened during his draft year. He came back at the end of the year. We saw a lot of the stuff return. Um, And if we think about sort of his prep track record, um, he was really strong as, as an, as a, you know, a prep as an amateur didn't get to pitch much at at LSU because of the injury in 2021. Of course he had the pandemic in 2022. So he doesn't have really a lot of high level experience, a guy, you know, that's as strong as he is with sort of the natural stuff and athleticism that Hill has, I'm really interested to see what sort of happens and what he develops into over the next year. It wouldn't shock me if he comes out really um, sort of like stamps himself as a true starter. He's got four different pitch shapes that are good. He's got a cutter. He's got a slider. He's got a very good changeup. His fastball is good. He can ride it. He can sink it as well. He's a guy that I'm really, really interested in seeing. And if I had to place bets on the guy that's going to end up bursting into the top 10 next year, it's probably him.
2: Yeah, that would certainly be a welcome development. Again, the Rockies always need pitching in the major leagues. And if they can get Jaden Hill to take that jump, you know, Jackson Cox, you mentioned, I, I just being out here on the West coast, helping out with West coast draft coverage. I can't tell you how many people were sending me videos of his curveball from games. They're at. like, you know, look at this thing. And it's, it was pretty ridiculous. And and, and that kind of goes back to why I talked about Vargas. You know, Vargas and Cox the same age. Cox went on um, the 50th overall pick, second round, and Vargas ranks ahead of them. So that kind of gives you an idea of of the caliber of pitcher Yordi Vargas is. He would have fit in this, you know, top 50 picks range. Um, if all those arms take the jumps that that the Rockies hope and that other evaluators see as possible, all of a sudden their pitching outlook is going to look a lot better to go with these really good hitters. And, and I'm glad you brought up Yankel Fernandez because he was a Fairly high profile signing out of Cuba. I didn't see Fresno until a little bit later in the year last year, just with the way the schedule shaped up. And I remember some early reviews were, yeah, I mean, this is your classic guy with big tools, but a lot of strikeouts. And, and also just sometimes his play in the outfield was a little bit inconsistent. Had the cannon for an arm, but just some of the basics, um, catching a fly ball were, were not always pretty at times. But by the end of the year, things started to kind of come together for him. So I saw him late. And by the time I got in there and watched him at the end of the year, it was pretty good. I mean, you saw the physicality, you saw the easy power, but some of the swing decisions got better. You know, the chase was not over the top. It wasn't big, ugly swings. His defensive play got better too. So I kind of like you highlighting him because again, this is a guy that, that got better over the course of the year. The second half of the season last year, he hit 319, 361, 563. That's from July 1st on. So I saw him late, and the player I saw was actually a pretty good player. Aggressive, to be sure, but um, it wasn't just, oh, two big tools, and the rest of his game is super raw. He was actually a good ball player who was getting the most from those tools. So I'm going to be really interested to see if he can carry on the improvements he made over the course of last season into next year. Because if he can, I do think we are talking about one of the top 10 prospects in the system and, and maybe a borderline top 100 guy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, he's a, a guy that I think the the upside is, is tremendous. And, you know, the Rockies really got to hope that a couple of these pitchers do pop and sort of develop themselves as, you know, like true starting pitching prospects. The Rockies need that. Not many free agents want to go to Coors, so... <laughs>
2: That is very, very, very true. And that's and that's something they talk about. You know, They know it. They're aware of it. And, and there's a big reason why when they were successful, most of their pitching was homegrown or, in the case of Marquez, acquired in a trade. Um, it's very hard to get marquee free agent pitchers, so that's how they have to do it. And seeing if these pitching prospects can take the jump forward, I think is going to be the most interesting storyline of the 2023 minor league season for the Rockies because, as we've talked about, this is a franchise in the midst of four straight losing seasons. There's probably another one coming and maybe even another one after that. But after this wave of position players gets the big leagues, gets acclimated, and starts to perform, they should have the makings of a solid lineup, but they're going to need the arms to complement them and just give the nature of course field that that's going to have to probably come in trades or homegrown development. So mm-hmm. we'll see what Jackson Cox and Jaden Hill and Jordi Vargas and Gabriel Hughes can do in 2023. Jeff, any final thoughts as we wrap up here?
1: No, I, you know, I think the, I guess, yeah, you know, the last thing I'll say is uh, this is a system that, you know, you should keep an eye on. There's a lot of names. If you buy the handbook and once we post our thirties this week, you're going to see a lot of names in 20 to 30 that are really interesting. They have a lot of pitchers that they drafted out of the college ranks the last couple of years with big stuff, a lot of break breaking balls, you know, whether that's somebody like uh, Carson Palmquist is a really interesting arm slot, really interesting stuff. Um, sort of the same thing um, with Kyle Stain, Who's an interesting one. And then the last one I'll bring up is Michael Prosecchi, uh, who, you know, I saw here on the Cape back in 2021 was the closer for the championship Brewster team, big breaking ball, you know, lefty with a little bit of power and some ride in the fastball. They have some interesting arms here at the back end of the system and some young uh, international players that, you know, will come stateside this year that are really, really interesting.
2: Yeah, we'll see what they're able to do in 2023. Jeff, pleasure talking with you as always. Thanks so much for joining me and uh, giving us your time and insight on the Rocky system.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Kyle, for having me
2: on. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Pons, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody.